Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at our epistle reading for the week, which is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, starting with verse 21, going to verse 30. In the first century, the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi while he was in prison for his faith. And his letter is a great example for us about the Christian view of suffering. Because I think one of the things that's so beautiful about how Paul writes this is he embraces uh, both his pain and his joy. His joy that is in Christ, even in the midst of suffering, and yet fully cognizant, fully aware, and fully expressing his pain. We might say this is summed up in verse 21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. It's almost like he's wrestling with, would it be better for me in this place of suffering in prison where I am, would it be better for me to die and to be with Christ? Or would it be better for me to live? And he's kind of working this out in real time in his, uh, in his argument or in his conversation, his letter to the Philippians. And he understands ultimately, as he wrestles with this, that his imprisonment is part of a life poured out for the gospel laid down for the sake of the gospel. Now, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do we understand this for our lives? Well, ultimately, the fruitfulness of our life and its outcome, what happens with us, is not up to us. It's up to God. Paul does not want to be ashamed, but to be faithful. He tells the Philippians that he will be coming to see them and he will see their progress in the gospel. He has accepted at this moment his situation as a prisoner in chains for Christ, knowing that God is working because people are praying for him and he has the spirit in him. Death is gain and life is Christ. We live for Christ. We will face sufferings that we do not understand. Anytime we live in such a way as it's oriented toward the kingdom of God, there is resistance to that. It often, for some, takes the, the form of very intense suffering for their faith. For other of us, it just feels like the uphill climb of going against what often might seem normal in our culture. God invites us to trust in God's love and to be confident in the gain that is ours through Christ. This is not some sort of prosperity gospel where Paul is saying that to live, we have all the abundance that we could possibly need kind of financially or in, in those kinds of ways. No, he's honest about his pain that he's facing for the gospel. And yet just having Christ with him, being in Christ, is significantly more valuable. In verse 27, Paul shifts the focus from his situation to their situation, the church's situation. Now, verse 27 has created a bunch of various interpretations because Paul uses this word for conduct yourself, which is a verb he doesn't use anywhere else. So it's kind of odd and we don't know exactly what he's trying to say here. But the root of this verb is related to the Greek word for city. So it's this idea of being a citizen. The verb suggests living one's life 
in, in how it relates to like being a good citizen or in public or in uh, civil affairs. So he might mean a couple different things and scholars have gone back and forth about this. Like the first thing he might mean is that you live by a different kingdom. You are citizens of a different kingdom, right? It might be kind of an anti-imperial or a political kind of sense. This is a city, Philippi, that was so dominated by its Roman identity. It was a Roman colony and had a lot of um, people who were in the Roman military who really dominated this particular city. And so Paul may be saying, hey, you are citizen to something beyond Rome. You are a citizen to the kingdom of God. And if you do that, you got to act differently. So you're not going to want to go to these pagan festivals or trade guild celebrations of the, the deity of your region or your, um, or your job. It might include like this sense of act responsibly as citizens of Rome towards your patrons or your clients. Make sure you pay taxes. Um, it may be that the antagonists are like government officials who harass them because they're believers. We don't really know, but there is this sense of like, be a good citizen towards the kingdom of God that Paul may be arguing for. The second thing that Paul may be saying is, is there's kind of a Jewish sense that is behind and in the backdrop of the use of this word. It may be that Paul's not talking about politics at all. Rather, he is, um, uh, Jewish authors use this verb to describe living as a Jew. The term communicates a sense of living out one's identity as a person of God in public life. So Paul may be challenging the Philippians to be publicly faithful in witnessing to the new reality of their life in Christ. Um, some of that may have to do with pushing back on those who promoted what was called the circumcision. And the idea there was there was a group of people who believed that Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised when they came to faith, that it was like a marker of identity that was necessary for Christians. It was one of the cultural markers that they needed to take on in addition to some of the observance of festivals and other markers of Jewish identity. And Paul seems to say, no, Gentiles are invited in just as they are. It's likely that both of these are involved that there is this sense of stand firm or stand fast against those pagan leaders in your city, but also stand fast against those who would say this is not your identity in Christ or you need more to have a greater identity in Christ. The Philippians are to do this, according to Paul, striving together in unity, going forward with a single mind. The word for mind here is not intellect. It's this idea that can also mean soul or life. The idea here is unity, that the church needs to be together and strive towards unity with one another. Lynn Kohick, and I'm so dependent on her work here, she's written a great commentary on Philippians, and she says this, all believers share in the same Holy Spirit, but believers do not have the same opinions. Unity implies diversity or difference. Paul emphasizes unity increasingly in this letter. Here he notes the foundational point that unity is created only as each believer stands firm in the Holy Spirit. As they do so, they also exhibit a singularity of purpose, namely the advancement of the gospel. The word for striving here is an athletic word. 
Verse 30 uses this word struggle, which is also an athletic term. So Paul's pulling in all these athletic analogies together. This group is to exercise a striving or a struggle in their teamwork in the gospel. They're to work together. Now, Paul knows that the people in the church are not facing the same difficulties at the moment that Paul has faced and is facing in prison. But their own sufferings that they face are still important in the advancement of the gospel. For Paul, it is always about the good news of Christ who has died for us and risen again for us. The Philippians are to stand firm without being frightened. Um, To fear here, the, the word can be used to describe a herd of stampeding horses. Now, horses, when they get threatened, their instinct is not to fight. (laughs) Their instinct is to run away. Paul indicates that believers shouldn't run away from those who persecute them. Why? Because God has saved them in Christ. Now, salvation, this word being saved, it carries a lot of baggage for a bunch of us, but it certainly means eternal life with God. But the plain meaning of salvation is just deliverance from trouble. Paul probably has both of these ideas in view, that Paul's convinced that as we declare the gospel, that we will prevail against any forces of evil. God's victory in Christ is something we can be confident in. It doesn't mean that we should seek suffering and seek oppression. It doesn't mean that we need to prove anything by how much we suffer, but that when the waves of suffering and struggle come, that we can stand firm and stand fast. We don't have to fall. Paul writes that God gave to the Philippians two things, belief in Christ and suffering for Christ. That both of these are seen as gifts of God in the present tense, that we believe and we suffer. That's often the Christian faith. Now, faith in Christ, sometimes when we hear faith, we think of like an intellectual acceptance that like, all right, I've been convinced of this thing, so now I have faith, which means I, I think it's logical or I think it makes sense. But that's not really the idea of faith in Christ for Paul. Paul brings faith and suffering actually together. That suffering only makes sense if we have a deeper hope. Suffering is an expected aspect of this world that we live in that is dominated by sin and oppression. But the good news is suffering doesn't have the final word. Christians trust that God will gain the victory. And our evidence of that is Christ's resurrection. Christ rose from the dead, and that is our great hope. The world is being restored and is being made right. So Paul is in no way minimizing suffering. Paul is not saying, yeah, I'm suffering now, but you know, the day is coming when everything's going to be right. No, no. He's also not just saying like, hey, I just got to bear this and got to push through. No, he's seeing all suffering in light of God's glory, God's shining This glory that believers will enjoy when God makes all things new with the resurrected, glorified bodies and when we see the world fully restored. We as Christians trust in that as well. But no matter what we face in this life, we trust because of Christ's resurrection, the world is being made new. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. 
You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.